Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We pray that you will help us to have ears to hear, that by your spirit you will encourage us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We pray that you will help us to come to know in this word your incredible love for us and the way that we live as the loved people of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing in our topical series at the moment, uh, we covered sex and sexuality last week, so this week we're going to cover the next most likely thing to get you into trouble, money. (laughs) We're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 29. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord, uh, the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, Then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine or other fermented drink or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So today I want to talk about money and I want to talk about money because Jesus did. Jesus talked about money quite a lot. He talked about our attitudes toward money. He used money in a number of his parables. He told us you cannot serve both God and money. Now this is a topic I must admit I don't really like preaching on and that is um, I think a reaction to going along to some churches and some things where they like talking about money a little bit too much. And we've, we all, we've all seen that sort of message, haven't we? We've all seen those who seem to give the impression that all the church wants from you is your money. And so perhaps in reaction to that, this is a topic I don't talk about very much. But Jesus did, so I should. Now, I always like to start when I do talk about money with this disclaimer... I am set a salary by this church and that salary remains the same. So if our giving was to go up tenfold, my salary would still stay the same. So I just want to make it clear that I don't get any benefit out of talking about this. And I do also, in all seriousness, want to say I practice what I preach in this. Um, These are the things that I've been taught about money that guide the way I think about how I give my money. And so I'm not telling you to do something 
that I wouldn't also do. And that's important, isn't it? Now, many of us know as Christians we should give. We should give to God and we should give to those in need. But how should we give? How much should we give? And where and to what should we give? I read in uh, John Piper's book, Desiring God, in, this was a little while ago, in 2007, the average Protestant gave 2.5% of their income to God. And it's likely that little has changed. But the question is, is that enough? Is that too much? Is that too little? How much should we give to God? Now, I read out to you before from Deuteronomy 14.22, and this isn't the only place in the Old Testament where it talks about this tithe, but it was just a nice, clear uh, one where it sets it all out. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. So is that it? We're done? Early minute, you can all go home, give 10%. That's the end of the question. Of course, it is actually a far more complex question than that. We know, for one thing, that we're not, uh, strictly speaking, we're not under the law of Moses. Because if we were, every time we came here, we would be, you know, there would be sacrifices of lambs and goats and things happening in a different part of the building. And we would be forgiven, uh, forbidden from eating pork and bacon and all those things. And the gentlemen, we'd all have to make sure that we weren't shaving the edges of our beards. And the women would have to all have their coverings on their heads. We know to some extent the law of Moses has a complex relationship with us. Because we are not Jews. And yet the law does teach us many things about what God thinks is good and what God thinks is evil. What he thinks is just and the way he called his people to live. Often when we try to understand the way the uh, Old Testament law applies in the New, we look at the New Testament and we see what it says. And so, for example, uh, I didn't have this one up there, but Jesus taught that it's what comes out of a person's mouth rather than what goes into them that, that defiles them. And Peter had his dream about eating the unclean animals and he refused to do it. And God said, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And out of those various things, we've decided that as Christians, the Old Testament food laws don't apply to us. So we can have bacon, for which I'm very thankful. Um, but at the same time, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And so he came along and he said, the law says, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So that law still applies and it, it, if anything, Jesus intensified it for us. Now what does the New Testament then say about money to help us understand where, where we fit with the Old Testament and what it teaches on money? Nowhere in the New Testament commands a 10% tithe. The New Testament standard is this. Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. 
We often look at that in the, you know, we, we see the whole point about Caesar and it's about him getting his way out of a tricky question about taxes. But that last part's pretty serious. Give to God's what is God's. But 100% is God's. If we give to God what is God's, I mean, I suppose we could do that. We would be dead within a few days from no food, no water, no nothing. But if we take that word seriously, give to God what is God's, does that mean that's what we're supposed to do? Or maybe like some have done through the history of church, take the vow of poverty that we'll have enough food and drink to survive but nothing else, nothing more. Now, there's very few Christians that have done that through the journey. Are they the true Christians and the rest of us just aren't committed enough? That's right, Elliot, you know. It is complex, but there are hints in the New Testament that God doesn't call for a vow of poverty. Romans 12, 13 tells us, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's hard to practice hospitality if you have nothing. Um, that's, that's just a very pragmatic argument. And again in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. He doesn't tell them you're terrible people because you're rich. He warns them of a particular temptation, of a particular sin that they face because they're rich. And he tells them be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share. And the other thing to think about when it comes to how much we give to God is that God also owned 100% of everything that they had in Israel's times. And yet he only asked them for 10%. And even there, they got to eat their tithe. I don't know if you noticed this when we read it through the first time. Eat the tithe of your grain new wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. They have to take their tithe to God but they still get to eat it as a family in some part of the temple precinct. The idea being that as you go and you take this tithe all the way from where you live to Jerusalem and you eat it there, it's just that constant reminder that even though I get to eat this, this is God's. God has given it to me. So, and then every third year with that, they gave their tithe away rather than getting to eat it. And it provided for the Levites who had no land and you know, thus no fields, no crops of their own. So does that mean we're back to 10% then? As Christians, we should give 10%. Not, I want to say not necessarily. Although I will say, I think it can be a good place to start. As we're thinking about our finances, as we're thinking about what we can give to God, 
it can be a very good place to start. To think, I'll give 10%. And then maybe next year I'll see whether I can give a little bit more. But there are genuinely some people for whom 10% can be a bridge too far. 10% is a much higher burden on them than it is on others. The truth is, you can give 10% or more without honouring God at all. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. They gave 10% of the things that they didn't even have to give 10% of. They were supposed to give 10% of their crops and everything, uh, but they've decided to give 10% of everything, even the herbs from their herb garden, and yet God is not pleased with them. They gave more than they had to and God is not pleased because of their hearts. Because they do not give out of love towards God and to, out, uh, love towards his people. And we could give less if 10% is too much for your finances. You could give less to God and honour him much more than those Pharisees who gave more than they had to. The key principles we find in the New Testament are not a percentage point or a heart, you know, you need to give 10 or 15 or 20 percent. Nor do we find you need to give God $2,000 a year adjusted for inflation. We find these principles instead. Number one, generosity. Each of you should give, Paul writes, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I said the heart mattered, didn't I? You could give 50%. But if you did it thinking, one, look how good I am, look at all the things I give to God, why can't all the other Christians be more like me? God's not going to be honoured. Or we could give it like every single dollar is being scraped through our hands with a begrudging attitude towards God. All oh, right, I'll give you that money, I suppose. I would have preferred to, but you can have it, I suppose. God loves a cheerful giver. We're not under compulsion. We're not giving reluctantly. But we give because he has given to us. Because we give to God what is God's. The other principle we find in the New Testament is stewardship. And that's, that's that idea that our money is not ours, that it's God's. The steward does not own what he is the master of. The steward is somebody who is put in charge of somebody else's affairs. If you imagine yourself as the chief servant of a wealthy man who's put you in charge of their estate and their finances... And so you have the control of all of the finances. Now, the owner of the estate will not come back to you and say, how dare you buy yourself food to eat and put a roof over your head as part of that arrangement, as part of you looking after their affairs. They're not going to... A good master does not expect their, their steward 
to be living in a lean-to and eating gruel necessarily. But at the same time, if that steward has built themselves a palace to rival the, the master's and they're eating caviar every day, the master might come along with a look at the finances one day and just, what's all this? Why all this? When we think about it being God's, that doesn't mean we can't spend anything on ourselves. That's part of the deal of being a steward. But it also means being generous towards others and being generous towards God. So how much should we give then? I can't give you an actual figure. But I can say how should we give? We should give with a thankful heart that thankfully gives back to God. Paul writes of the money that the, um, he was collecting from the Corinthians to help the people, uh, the church in Jerusalem in a time of famine. He writes to them, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Giving to the needy is thanksgiving to God. Paul also says to give according to your income. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So a rich person can give $20,000 and be giving less than the widow who puts in $2. The widow's might. Depending on how much we earn is how much our giving is a sacrifice, how much it is a thanksgiving to God. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. We give according to our income, And yet Jesus seems to be saying there that there can't even be a time for radical giving, giving that really hurts, giving that really stretches us. But the general principle throughout the life of the church is give according to your income and give according to need. Paul writes, this is in that same section in 2 Corinthians, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Not give all your money away and be poor so that others are rich on your behalf, but that it might be equal. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. So how much does the Bible say we should give to God? The New Testament doesn't say much about how much. It says more about how should I give. I think the New Testament calls for a giving that is somewhat sacrificial, that is not, not giving so little that you don't notice that it's gone, but also giving in a way that is proportionate to our income, that we don't have to be poor so that others might be rich on our behalf. And yet some people have made that decision, have given up everything and gone overseas to preach the gospel 
and given away all of their money. They get their reward. So how should we give? Well, the first one is obvious and it's the main thing we think about when it comes to giving. We can give by giving things away to other people. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, which was on top of their tithe, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's Jesus encouraging people to give money away. That you, It's not a loan. You'll never see that money again. But God sees and he is pleased. There's another way we can give and that is that we can give by sharing. And we see this principle in Deuteronomy 14 when they go and they eat the tithe of the grain and they eat it with the priests and the Levites at the temple so that they get they get fed that's their part for being the leaders of Israel and so these people still get to eat their meal their tithe that they've taken to the temple but they're sharing it with others and in doing so that is their way that they are giving it to God likewise we can give by sharing what we have we can share our food and share our house in hospitality to others and share a car and uh, help people out who need a lift we can share and give in that way. And this one was an interesting one I came across as reading for this sermon and, and looking up for things. We can even give by saving. The good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Now this is from Proverbs, which is a reminder that it is a, a proverb, which is a general statement rather than a commandment, But even so, in part of God's word to us, we have a word saying, uh, saving something for the next generation is not an evil. In fact, it's a good. It's what a good person does. So I think that's, in a sense, that's how we can give 100%. Give to God what is God's. We give away some, we share some, and we use all that we have in a way that honours him. So in finishing then, the last question that I asked at the beginning, where should we give? To what should we give? Where should our money go? There are so many good causes out there. None of us can fund all of them, not to any significant degree. Maybe if we gave them a cent each, Where should we give? I think the number one, this is what I was taught and this is what I do, the number one place we give is to local ministry. Uh, In particular, I've taken that to be our own church. We see this in that passage I read before, do not neglect the Levites living in your towns for they have no allotment or inheritance among uh, of their own. The law was telling, look out for the people in your space who are ministering to you and to the people of your community. And if every community does that, then everyone is looked after. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce, store it in your towns so that the Levites, 
the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. So not just the Levites who look after the people, but that it's used for the good of those who are struggling, who have no money, who would otherwise be starving. So the number one place our money goes is locally. Now, I mentioned this to a few of our Ni Vanuatu fellas here this morning, that you might decide that your home church is your home church in Vanuatu and not here, and that you give them the bulk of what you give to God. And I fully support you in that. Um, because that is, that is your local church, that is your context and your community. But I think for each of us, that is the starting place of where we give to local ministry, to what's happening in our town, in our space. We see also in 1 Timothy in the New Testament, Paul says to Timothy, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And then speaking of those same elders, the next verse, for scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. That's money for local ministry again, isn't it? Encouraging the churches for money for local ministry. Then the other place, the second place that we should give and very important place is to those in need. And as we saw, that's tied into that local ministry in some ways in any case. John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And Paul says, and we saw this before, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but there might be equality. Your plenty will supply what they need. In turn, their plenty will supply, supply what you need. We give to those in need. We give to those who are struggling, who can't support themselves for whatever reason. Now, in our context, it's a bit different to the um, New Testament context where the beggars were on the street corners and where it was very easy to see the poverty and the need in their communities. There is probably, to some extent, less poverty in our communities than there was in those. There was a much poorer time. But there is still poverty in our communities. But sometimes it's much harder to see. It's not as on the surface. And that's where sometimes it can be, you know, it's not the easiest to just go around and give money to those who need it. And there are good charities, there are good groups that we can support that get that money to where it's needed. So our giving to those in need may not look like handing out money to beggars on street corners. It might look like supporting you know, any number of charities from, from you know, your sort of world vision, uh, compassion, those sort of ones in other countries to your, your Smith families and your um, ones that support people here in Australia, the Cancer Council. The, you know, nobody said these had to all be Christian things. Jesus cared about helping the poor, not just the Christian poor. Um, you can support the, uh, what are they called again? The, the soup kitchen for the homeless in um, Hut Street. Borders of Charity. Daughters. Daughters of Charity. That makes more sense than Borders. Um, there are all sorts of places that we can support uh, where they make sure the money gets to where it's needed. 
And the third place that we can give is to wider ministry and to wider mission. Paul writes this at the end of his letter to the Romans. Now there is no more place for me to work in these regions and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. He's hitting them up for money for his mission trip to Spain. And the people of Spain will thank them for it. Although we don't know whether that ended up happening or not. It might have been cut short by his imprisonment. But that was the plan at least. Paul is encouraging the Christians to give to ministry that will happen in another place, to the spread of the gospel beyond their borders. And that's a worthwhile thing for our money too. And Paul talks about this when he writes to the Philippians as well, but in a different context. Instead of hitting them up for money, he's thanking them for their contribution. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. You can be a partner in the gospel going forth in the world without ever leaving Birdwood. That's what Paul says. They are partners in the gospel because they've supported the ministry of the gospel. Now, I'd encourage you to be those who are spreading the gospel in Birdwood, but we can have a much broader ministry in the world. We can be partners in a great ministry without ever having to go to deepest, darkest Africa as the, the sort of um, the story went with the original missionaries. So money, it's a complex topic. It matters what we do with it. Not necessarily that we, you know, get the exact, we have to discern the exact figure God wants us to give or that we have to guess which are the most deserving places to spend it. But it matters how our hearts feel about money. Whether we see the money as my money or God's money that he's allowed me to have. So I want to encourage us, just as we finish, in all things, remember the heart. Remember that the heart is the most important thing as we give. When we remember that money is not our own, then we can be delighted in the fact that God has given us enough to share. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will help us all to be wise when it comes to our money. For from the love of money has come all kinds of evil. We know that money is a useful servant, but a terrible master. Help us not to be mastered by money. Help us to think about and know in our hearts that all that we have is yours so that we can be thankful. That we can be thankful for all that we have. And whether we give some of that money away, whether we share it with others, Whatever we do with it, we just pray that you would help us to 
Remember that it's yours and be thankful. To delight in what we can give. To delight in what we can share. For you love a cheerful giver. Keep our hearts from greed. Help us to be wise. To give according to our income. But to give freely. Help our hearts to always be stirred by need because we know that that is what stirs your heart, that we look out for those in our community and across this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.